I heard both sounds. I heard bloop, 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 and I heard blong. Live from the Talking Joe Studios. It's Talking Joe. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, 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 hey now, what's that sound? Everybody, look, what's going down? It's me, Mark, and welcome to Talking Joe, the best and longest-running dedicated G.I. Joe comics podcast. And if you're new to the show, you can find out all about it over at the website, which is talkingjoe.co.uk. Today, we are continuing our look at the disavowed era of G.I. Joe with issue 28, Players and Pawns. Uh, part one of five of that multi-parter, which was from Devil's Due in 2004. I tried to come up with some chess puns for the Players and Pawns arc, but uh, it didn't quite work out, so I just left that in my drafts folder. Now, without further ado, uh, let me introduce my co-host. First up, it's a real American player. It's Tim Finn. Hello, Jay, and hello, listeners. And next up, it's porn star G.I.J. Jay Cordray. Howdy, Joe fans. I'm not sure how to react to that one. Uh, uh, yeehaw. I just howdy, Joe fans, <laughs> and rounding out the crew. Now, rounding out the crew, what I find more amazing than the guests that we get onto the show is that some of them choose to come back. So uh, making his encore appearance, it's none other than the writer of the book that we are going to be talking about. It's Brandon Jawa. Hi kids. I feel it. I really feel it. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is very special. It's great to have you back, Brandon. It's great to be back. <laughs> Your, so your name you we we sure hope you read the comic this time i did no i really did and in fact i had before it was sent to me uh so i was i was prepared okay but before anything before anything there was a butt coming i <laughs> there is a butt coming <laughs> i heard i heard your little review of uh gi joe frontline was it 17 17 is that the night creeper issue Yes, uh -huh. and I just wanted to point out one thing. You're absolutely it right. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I helped put that on a on a on a store shelf, but it's not good. It's not good. Hey, um, uh, uh, was that the issue uh, by the two pe written by the two people who would worked on Friends? Yeah, and I, I heard by the way that you mentioned that you can't find any proof that they worked on Friends. I am certain that that is what I was told. I'm not even. I'm not making any of this up. I know it, I sound like a maniac. I am certain <laughs> that I was told that they worked on Friends, and I couldn't find any proof of that either. Uh, and I was like digging for emails because I was listening to that episode because I love it when people talk about me. So uh, I I was listening and following along, uh -oh. and yeah, you're a hundred percent right. Yeah, I had to write the dialogue over the existing art. Oh wow! Uh, and I couldn't change anything. Like, there was something about the page layout, pagination, uh, there was something about the page layout that uh, I couldn't change the order of things. Mm. 
Uh, and I may, that I may be misremembering. You may just look at those pages and go, nope, that's nonsense. He could have moved that around. But in my head, I think I was told not to move it around. Uh, but, uh, in any event, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Um, and like, yeah, uh, people appearing out of nowhere in rooms that they should have been noticed in when they're trying to surprise people and stuff like that. So, uh, I'm as guilty as anybody with that one, but yeah, it, it ain't great. I was going to say it was something that we are, we were sort of pondered in that episode about, what what point you came in and how much you you could change because even if you know even if it was still at script stage you know how do you save something that that you fundamentally think isn't quite working without scrapping it and rewriting yourself in which case why have the original script and the original writers you know you can't you can't be expected to just do someone else's job for them right so um, I guess, if yeah. if the if it was art on the artboard and then it, you can only do what you can do with the dialogue. There's less at uh, your disposal to turn the boat around. Yeah, uh, and also, I, I for some reason, I have this recollection. Uh, you remember how there's a, a toad involved with the, the poison? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, would, <laughs> I would swear that, the, the, that, 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 that toad or frog is in there for a completely different reason. <laughs> And I, I think I came up with the poison angle, and, and like maybe, <laughs> maybe these, maybe these, these writers will come out of the woodwork and be like, "No, this guy's a liar," and they, they could be right. I don't mean to be, but I'm pretty sure that there was something about that toad or frog that I actually changed because I remember gathering research for it. Uh huh. <laughs> so it was Brandon that watched the Discovery Channel documentary. All right, I got a lot of spare time, buddy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> While while we're talking about things that that maybe we didn't find in our favor, there was a oh, good. a scene more. in the last issue that we that we did. Maybe not the last one, the one before that, the Scott Sturgis one. And see if you remember this, Brandon. Uh, Duke brings this guy in who's a reporter, and he tells him everything, all kinds of stuff about the Joes, including the fact that Snake Eyes left Scarlet at the altar. And I couldn't believe it when I read that. I was like, "What is going on here?" And I could not believe it. I think we'll probably get to issue 43 of this series. And then when we look back, worst line of dialogue is going to go to you for that line right there. What do you have to say for yourself? I, charm, I have charm. no recollection of that issue. I don't. I don't. <laughs> it the guys isn't from that friends, the same friends. episode where Duke threatened to hit a civilian with a clipboard? So I'm just I'm just saying. <laughs> It's 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 a balance, my friend. It's it's a delicate dance. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I I was reading that too, and I was like, that is an awful lot of exposition. And I think in my head, I thought that he, I was like, he was he's just going to overwhelm him with all this ridiculous information. And you know, maybe that didn't come across. That's okay. We tease because, like like Mark said, we tease because we're friends. <laughs> and uh, we we just we were like yeah i hit that one and i hit that line and i was like what is going on here why is duke telling him all this stuff uh fair yeah. totally fair and i will also admit that i as i look back at these joe issues uh it is 100 percent on the writer i sure loved putting emphasis on words i don't know why so many words are bolded no, I'm, I'm okay I asked with for it. <laughs> that no, i mean it's that's that's a convention i think we see less of that in comics in the last 20 years but you see that a lot in comics in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Yeah. So 
in and of itself, I don't have a problem with that. Okay, good. <laughs> I, fact, I found when, it jarring. <laughs> when when we it. occasionally read dialogue aloud for this podcast, it's fun to have a few bolded and italicized words so we know where to put the emphasis. <laughs> Especially if Tim reads it. That's right. <laughs> like, like, uh, like this panel on the issue we're about to talk about where Hawk and Duke come into the room and Hawk says, I hope you all enjoyed your time off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sorry, I said that wrong. It's, it's, it goes like this. I hope you all enjoy, enjoyed your time off. I think that's I think that's <sighs> Well, this has been some... great. Uh, thanks so much, guys. Good talk, good talk. <laughs> so some more reasonable, level-headed questions from, from, from me. So going, going talking about those, those issues uh, and my notes of some of the things we talked about, uh, the title of uh, your first solo issue, Scott Sturgis is a reasonable man. Is I thought is that a quote? Is that kind of a quote? A reference to something in particular that someone is a reasonable man? Nope. 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 Okay. And and it's funny. I titled it that way. Uh, I titled it that way. Uh, I, I guess in in my head I was going for like a sort of. 60s twilight zone type of episode title right you know uh but no it doesn't mean anything but the fact that you asked means that i accomplished my mission and created <laughs> curiosity in the reader what was that one x files episode that had the real weird uh oh jose jose chung's from, from outer, outer space, space. that's exa- <laughs> see yes, you knew exactly yes. what i was talking about that's amazing that's it and Scott Sturgis, when I looked him up, there was a musician and a journalist, and I thought it's going to be the mu- the Seattle musician. That's true. That's true. Uh, Scott and I were real good friends at the time. Weirdly, I asked him if I could make him a character for the story, and he said, "Yeah, sure." That was very cool. Um, I picked the name Scanner. What I didn't know, and this is a true story, when he was a kid, he and his brother played GI Joe, and his code name was Scanner. Totally random. Yeah, you you get it. Uh, but that is a true story, and I've always I, that one's always warmed my heart a little bit because it was totally unintentional and unknown. And the magic of GI Joe brought the world together that day. That's amazing. I think is it Alan Moore? He talks about this concept of like an idea space where there's a you know in the universe mm-hmm. these ideas exist that people can somehow tap into. And absolutely amazing. Um. So there were on the Fallen Joe's memorial wall. There were a few names we didn't recognise. You might remember who they were. Um, entirely blameless if you don't. Um, they were Mark Frewith, nope. Walter Rose, and Samuel Wells. Samuel Wells worked for Devil's Due. I did not put. Uh, I I think I chose uh, any any GI Joe name you see. I chose the others. I did not choose. I don't know where they came from except for Sam, who is a fine fine fellow. And uh, I'm sorry that he fell in fictional battle. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, he's a he's a Devil's Due. The other two people, I don't I don't know who they are. Okay, and um, so there, the- in fact, and there's a uh, there's a letter in the issue we're about to talk about. There's a letter about that uh, memorial wall. Oh, okay. Uh, Better to have fallen in fictional battle than never have been in fiction at all. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, do you want to talk about the the letter while we're while we're on it? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so this is this is issue twenty eight, and uh, there there's some other things that I want to talk about the letters page, but um, the second letter 
uh, is from a Marty uh, Petit from uh, uh, Ponce City, Oklahoma. And um, uh, congrats. It was cool to have a monument of the real file names of the Joes that had been lost in battle on page two. I had to dig out some reference material and look up some of the names that I didn't recognize. Dot, dot, dot. I did notice that Flash was not on the memorial. Uh, he died in issue 25. Uh, I really enjoy I really enjoy the comics, uh, but looks like this it looks like Flash got missed. And the reply uh, in part reads, as for Flash's name not being listed on the memorial, I believe when asked about it and some other names that appeared to be missing, Brandon replied that we didn't actually see the entire memorial and then there could have been a particular order to what names went where and that the missing names were on a different part of the memorial. Of course, I could be completely misremembering that entire dialogue. <laughs> Sounds good. So to answer a question that the four of us were not posing when I when I interrupted on this, uh, the reason why uh, we don't see all the names is because maybe we don't see all the names. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the editor had forgotten the conversation, you know, within hours of having it, whereas Brandon is expected to remember it 20 years later. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A guy wrote down in writing that he can't remember a conversation he had a month ago. Uh, but yeah, here, let me pull it up from the memory bank. <laughs> and um so so the, so the the other the other uh sort of thing to 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 dig out that we didn't touch on is is some of the the easter eggs in the uh brandon joe jingle so we didn't touch on uh we didn't touch on absolutely everything up there so so um let's we talked about um the, the <laughs> uh, we talked about your role at funko pop um uh, the the lyric was Funko Pop Manatee, but um, let's let's skip past that. Yeah. Um, the um, ironically, um, I don't work for Funko anymore. But go on. <laughs> <laughs> so so what what was um, what what did you get up to at uh, uh, Funko Pop? What sort of uh, pies did you dip your fingers into? Oh, I was um, I was the director of narrative uh, for for a minute, and uh, I I would like name toys and write little blurbs for things. Uh, there's a really neat, uh, you know, no hard feelings towards your former employer. There's a really neat line of stuff coming from Funko uh, called Villainous Valentines that you can get right now, and they're little vinyl figures of cutesy animals holding like axes and chainsaws. Uh, and they were created by by a brilliant artist there named Elise Walters. But uh, I did the text for the Villainous Valentines. Like, I want to ax you on a date, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, and they're really, they're really, they're really a lot of fun. And I'm very, very proud of them. So, yeah, I worked on, I worked on some toy lines. I, I proofread things. Uh, and I just, I wrote a whole bunch of uh, different stuff. But, yeah. Uh, very excited up, to work at a toy company. Next up, we have Stripping Gorilla. Oh, so <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll, I'll throw this over to you. But when, when I first heard about this, I, I imagined that, that you're in a stripping uh, in, a, in a gorilla costume, taking off the gorilla costume. But it's you remain in the gorilla costume and it's the gorilla taking off clothes. Is that right? You get it. You've, you've seen your fair share of stripping gorillas, sir, I can tell. Uh, yeah, so I had a job. This is like, I don't know, I was like 18, maybe. Uh, and I was in Kansas, uh, because where you want to wear layers of clothing is Kansas in the summer. Uh, and uh, I got this job. I answered a newspaper ad. Ask your grandparents what a newspaper is. 
Uh, and I, I answered a newspaper ad and I wore, I, it, I was a stripping gorilla. Uh, just as you say, I wore a gorilla costume and then I would wear clothing over the gorilla costume, like Bermuda shorts and a shirt. What you, this was my job. How dare you? Uh, and, and I had, I, I drove a moped. Uh, this story only gets better and better. I drove a moped and I had a boom box uh, and I would go to events, parties, uh, and I would be a stripping gorilla. And uh, uh, I would do, uh, let's see, uh, It Takes Two by Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock, where uh, there was that. There was It's Tricky. Uh, there was um, Monkey by George Michael. Uh, <laughs> God, why am I... Why am I talking about this in public? I don't have to. Uh, and yeah, so I spent a summer uh, making, you know, decent money as a gorilla stripper, stripping gorilla. Wow. Yeah. And and you you drove on the moped as the gorilla? Uh, sans gorilla head. Okay. But okay. yes, uh, a few times I, I did bring my gear with me, but a few times I did actually just go hauling down the road on a moped. In a gorilla costume with a big white awesome helmet, like a space balls type helmet. <laughs> Very good. Space balls, the helmet. It isn't that I can't make this up, but why would I? Uh, I mean, this is a very, <laughs> this is a very real part of my life. Uh, so the last one uh, was Sprocket Man, the the hero. So uh, what, uh, who's Sprocket Man? Okay, so I was a big drama nerd in high school. And uh, I was in all the plays. And oh, why is that funny? Uh, so I was a big drama nerd in high school. We had a very serious theater department. And the Bicycle Safety Association of Washington came when I was in the 10th grade, I think, 11th, the first time. They, uh, they came and they were looking for an actor to be Sprocket Man, the bicycle safety superhero. You can, uh, you can Google this, by the way. There are Sprocket Mans, <laughs> Sprocket Men. <laughs> Sprocket people, I'm sure now, all over the United States. I don't know if they still do it, but it's a, like a little franchise uh, that you can get into and and use this bicycle safety superhero. So I would, uh, I can send you a photo of this if you'd like to include it in the final broadcast. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I imagine imagine me. I was in much better shape. It was high school. I was in stripping gorilla shape. Uh, I, I wore uh, I wore uh, bright red tennis shoes, yellow tights. Little red bicycle shorts, uh, you know the bicycle tops. I don't know what you call them, but they're 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 sort of half tone across the middle, and they've got a little zipper at the top and long sleeves. Yeah, well, sure. Uh, so I had one of those that was yellow on the bottom and then red uh, on the sort of t- tunic top with a big uh, gold sprocket on it, uh, and then I had a mask, and the mask had a sprocket on the forehead, and then there was a bicycle helmet. That was also red and had uh, a uh, a sprocket on it. And I would go around to elementary schools and I would teach them about bicycle safety as Sprocket Man. Very good. Well, that's Public cool. service. I, I try um, to give back when I can. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So so yeah that 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 was uh, that was the the sort of the mysteries that that had to be. Uh, be resolved so so let's let's put push ahead on in into where we are in uh 2004 and um what we what we noticed and, and something that i hadn't really appreciated 
um, before before looking back on this this era was that you you started with your uh, your first issue twenty six, and pretty much the same month, maybe the month after, Devil's Due launches the the Reloaded book as <laughs> as well. So you know what was what was your thoughts about that? I guess initially at the at the time, what did what did the dynamic feel like? <sighs> Gather around, everybody! It's story time. <clears throat> so. Uh, I have, you know, made my way up and in, into the upper echelons of, of devil's do freelancing. And I am about to take over my dream gig, my dream job of writing GI Joe. Oh my God. I'm writing the main title. Devil's do announces that they're going to do GI Joe reloaded. <clears throat> so understandably I am, you know, a little, Worried that I'm going to, you know, my G.I. Joe is going to get lost in the shuffle. And I I, I went to Josh Blaylock uh, and I, I said, hey, uh, I was just curious, you know, you're doing all this reloaded stuff. Like, what's what's the plan? What's the plan for, for G.I. Joe? And he said, oh, we're just going to continue to put it out. And, and, you know, it has a good audience and the audience will support it. And I said, OK, well, like. But I mean, you're doing all this reloaded press like you're really doing a big push. Are we going to do a big push? And he's like, no, no, it has its audience. (laughs) And and I mean, that was just that was it. Right. Like that was that was the end of the discussion. And I I I I wasn't there every day internally, but I feel kind of like that's what they did, at least for a little bit. Mm. And without trying to be mean, but um. I guess at some point, looking at the book, you must have been a little bit relieved that it wasn't actually very good. <laughs> uh, I didn't read it. <laughs> I didn't, oh, wow. I didn't read it. Yeah. I, I. Well, I wanted to, I didn't want to be influenced by it. I didn't want to feel like I needed to keep up with it. Uh, and I didn't want to feel like I was competing with it. So I, I did eventually read it. And well, I did eventually read it. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I... I probably would have felt a little better at the time uh, about it had I read it simply because they were very, they were two very different things. And, and uh, I don't think that there was any risk of losing the main GI Joe audience to it is Mm -hmm. what I'll say. Mm -hmm. It didn't last very long, did it? Yeah. It lasted 14 issues and yeah, which is a year. (laughs) And what we can say is that uh, your, run on the regular G.I. Joe lasted 20 or 25 issues. Yeah. So you you won. <laughs> <laughs> Not that it's a contest, but I did. Um, yeah. And there's a lot going on here. I think without, you know, sales figures and looking at advertising and, uh, you know, talking to the creators who worked on the other book and, and getting their perspective, it's all reasonable conjecture, but conjecture. But I think what happens in a case like this is that a brand like G.I. Joe in 2003 can sustain one monthly book. And the question is, can it sustain two? And, you know, like how were sales on Frontline at the end of Frontline? Or are we now in the era where like every two years, sort of no matter what your comic is, even if it's an X-Men or, or Spider-Man comic, do you like want to relaunch it every two years? You know, at this point, this is where like Amazing Spider-Man or Fantastic Four every couple of years, 
you know, it's like, well, we just had a big event or the writer changes. So let's do a new issue number one. And then a year or two or three later, if you count the original numbering, it's going to be at some big anniversary, like issue 450 or issue 500. So like, let's switch it back. So even if a monthly like Amazing Spider-Man isn't starting over as a new, as an, as a different book, it is, it is doing a kind of relaunch. And so you take the, the G.I. Joe fandom that showed up for Blaylock's issue number one. And two years later, you have fewer of those, you know, maybe this is a guess, half as many, you know, a quarter as many. And then you split it a little further because now some of those people have the money to also buy Frontline. And then Frontline ends and Reloaded starts and you get in some new people who see all that press and, you know, Wizard Magazine or whoever pays attention to it. And some of the people who are reading Reloaded aren't reading the original. But at a certain point, like in 2003, 2004, is G.I. Joe popular enough to sustain more than one book? I, I'm, I'm asking that philosophically. I'm not, I'm not mm. looking for an answer. And, you know, and, and I think to get the answer, you kind of have to delve into, into how successful Reloaded was in terms of fulfilling what it was trying to, to achieve. And, and yeah, let's, let's not do, do that here. Just to, just to put a final uh, button on this. Uh, just so everyone knows, the comic book we're talking about, Devil's Due, issue 28, the final ad, that's uh, the final, not the inside back cover, but the final page of the comic is an ad for G.I. Joe Reloaded number two. So it was very much in front of fans who were reading uh, Jurawa's book. Uh-huh. True. And the, the other thing about the, the timeline on this is that uh, Master and Apprentice came out uh, not too long into your your run, so it must the looking at the timing of it, it must have been around about as soon as your your first issue landed that you you must have been given the green light for a spin off series to to be working on two series at the but can same we time. can we hold that can we hold that story until we review until we talk okay, about Master let's, and let's Apprentice? do that yes yes absolutely <laughs> absolutely okay Brandon whatever you do right now don't talk about Master and Apprentice. <laughs> So, Master and Apprentice. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, no, got it, got it. Let's talk about 20, let's talk about 28. We're gonna talk about comics from Devil's Jew. It's something you wanted if Talking Joe would ever do. I guess we'll explain it all to you. Gonna take some time to read the books we've never read. Oh, oh. So issue 28, Players and Pawns, uh, one of five, from Devil's Due in 2004. The story is Brandon Jawa. Brandon, Brandon Jawa. Pencils, Tim Seeley. Inks, Corey Hampshire. Colours, Brett R. Smith. Letters, Dreamer Design. Graphic Design, Mike Norton. Military Consultation, Andrew Swenson. And the cover is Tim Seeley, Andrew Pepoy, and Val Staples. So let's have a look at the cover. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. Tim, why don't you start off with your thoughts? Sure. Uh, I know I talked a lot about the last two covers, so I'll, I'll keep this one um, much shorter. As a general rule, 
I think a monthly comic, its cover should be pretty different than the previous issue and the next issue. And an easy way to do that is to have a different dominant color, like a different background color. And something that I like about 26, 27, 28, if you put them next to each other on a shelf or your computer monitor, is that happens. So uh, 26, there's a yellow background with a lot of red light. 27, there's a white background. And 28, there's a blue background. Um, I think uh, Tim Seeley does well here with fewer elements. There's just one character that can be big and bold. Um, it's this character who's flying at us. And I will admit to being uh, ignorant of a lot of the middle 2000 aught G.I. Joe action figures. And when I read this for this podcast, I thought, uh, oh, I guess that's uh, Firefly in some kind of like new Devil's Do style outfit or some like 2003 action figure get up that I don't remember. And then I read the issue and then I was Googling and it turns out to be not Firefly. It's a Joe in disguise. I think the cover is uh, it's it's good. Um, it doesn't doesn't blow me away, but it's a it's a nice, uh, simple, exciting bold image of a Joe flying at us uh, with some armor and a wing jetpack thing. He's firing two missiles. There's a small Gatling gun. His fists are forward and uh, he's he's swooped from uh, a great distance uh, from, um, uh, is there a name for this kind of island where it's, where it's, where it's got a curve? It's like atoll? missing a big gap. Uh, yeah, he's, thank you. He's, he's flying up from an atoll. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to say the Pacific. That's Cobra Island. Okay. I, yeah, I wondered. <laughs> okay. Cause it, okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> and Thank you. yeah, and quite, quite bold, you know, bold single character and featuring one of the, the new characters in the, in the issue, but, but also one of the, the new figures, uh, that had not long been in, in the toy shops. So barrel rolls specifically. So you know, and people were excited about the the new toys that they they might not have been quite loved by by history, but you know, people were excited about seeing a new set of toys and a new set of characters on in in the shops. So I, I'm sure a lot of people were excited to go, "Hey, it's that that new that new Joe, and he's on the on the front on the front cover." Uh, Brandon, did what degree of say did you have into uh, into the covers? Was it? Was it just the, the script and, and they'd go away and do whatever they wanted on the cover? Or did you sort of tend to uh, chime in with a, a suggestion? I want to say that, that they didn't ask me much about the covers. I, I think that Tim Seeley would usually you know, show me a sketch or say, hey, this is, you know, kind of what I'm thinking. And I would be like, yeah, OK, great. Sounds good. Um, so, no, I don't think I had too much input uh, into that. Okay, um, Let's get a plot breakdown to remember exactly what this issue was all about. Jay. At Cobra Field HQ in New York City, acting commander of Cobra's forces Destro receives an urgent call from a Claws unit on Cobra Island. The Claws commander tells Destro that Dr. Mindbender has escaped. Destro tells him the next time he hears his voice, if he hasn't recovered Dr. Mindbender, his second-in-command will get a promotion Darth Vader style. <laughs> Just then, Cobra Commander returns, with Ninja Bodyguard Storm Shadow followed closely behind. Cobra Commander asks for a situation report. Destro turns to him and says, 
When you radioed me from Cobra Island looking for help, you made a promise. Assist me and all debts are clear. Destro tells the commander that debt has been paid and he is leaving. At Joe HQ in Arizona, Hawk and Duke introduce six new Joes to the team. Hacker, Depth Charge, Mayday, Barrel Roll, Mariner, and Dinah. Formerly of the Ar October Guard, now going by the code name Verona. Duke then says all the other green shirts will be sent packing, and the crowd goes wild. <laughs> Duke and Hawk then meet with Snake Eyes and Scarlet, who are just returning from a somewhat successful mission in the Tibetan Mountains. Hawk and Scarlet have a tense confrontation. Hawk tells them, don't bother unpacking. Meanwhile, in New York, the Baroness confronts Destro about his decision to leave Cobra. Destro says, surely she can't be surprised. The Baroness says she's only surprised he didn't consult her first. Destro says if there's any question where her loyalties lie, they wouldn't be having this conversation. Oh, 300 hours the next morning, Flint, Torpedo, and the New Joes are spotted during an attempt to infiltrate Cobra Island. A fierce sea battle ensues. During the battle, Bear Roll leaps into the ocean to deal with a drowned a downed Cobra glider pilot. As the Joes board their extraction chopper, Mayday asks Torpedo about Barrel Roll. Torpedo reveals that Barrel Roll has taken the Cobra glider's pilot's place. Later that day at WNN Studios in New York City, General Hawk is a guest on 20 Questions with Hector Ramirez. Ramirez asks Hawk about a conflict that is brewing in Sierra Gorda and if Hawk will be sending any of his men into the war-torn country. Hawk tells Ramirez he has no plans to send any Joes into Sierra Gorda. After the interview, Cobra Commander's face suddenly appears on every monitor in the studio. Cobra Commander tells Hawk he's going to take a forward approach to dealing with potential threats from now on. Dr. Mindmender is captured. Serpentor is dead. Now it's your turn. He says that the television studio is engulfed in a massive explosion. Cracker, caca, caca, coom. <laughs> I'm a great lover of the cracker coom. <laughs> I know it really you must am. be a Thor fan. That's right. That's right. You're exactly. Oh, nice. It's good to have a go-to sound effect. Sometimes you could you could discern the writer of a particular comic just from the sound effects that that they're choosing to <laughs> to use. Hundred percent. Uh, excellent. So, uh, where to start? The uh, I guess a a big bit of this uh, issue is that we've got new Joes being introduced. Toys! Hacker, Depth Charge, Mayday, Barrel Roll, Mariner, plus uh, Verona. Uh, so Verona meaning uh, crow in Russian, I believe. Yes. And uh, we did see, a f although some of these figures are based on toys of the time, uh, Verona was brand new, at, but later became a G.I. Joe Collectors Club exclusive 2018, I believe. Similarly, for uh, Mayday and for Mariner, correct? They did not have toys at the time, and since then there have just been some customs, mm -hmm. but correct. Uh, not any official ones. But uh, Hacker, Death Charge, and Barrel Roll were figures around 2003. Yeah, and you know, honestly, uh, I mentioned this before. I, I'm sure we talked about this with with Frontline, but I liked the toys. I liked the characters. And I'll just tell you straight up, like so much of this issue is me doing a tribute to the things that I love about G.I. Joe comics, which is new toys, new characters, uh, the Devilfish, my one of my favorite vehicles of all time. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the, the cover of issue 47, where they introduced the Devilfish, is just it's the greatest toy poster I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> uh, and it, it really made me want 
that that devilfish very badly, specifically with wetsuit beachhead and and the new hawk figure, right? Like that was a great item showcase, and <clears throat> I tried to do the same thing here. Uh, and it just so happens we've got that great action shot of Barrel Roll and his spy troops gear on the front. Um, but I really, this really was me playing with my toys. And and as we get into the big water fight, me definitely uh, trying to imitate Uncle Larry a couple of times. Uh, but, you know, we can get to that as it comes. Uh, but yeah, I just, you know, I, I wanted to play with my toys. Hasbro never made me do it. Um, Barrel Roll is Dwight Stahl, who is a major figure at Hasbro. He's the guy who made me into an action figure. Uh, and I don't think that had happened yet. I, when, when this issue came out, um, but I, I love Dwight. Dwight is one of the coolest guys you will ever meet. Uh, and I was more than happy to put his character in and he, he wrote me and he's like, I, you know, you don't have to do this. And I was like, no, I really want to, I'm a big fan of the character. Uh, and, and so I built out that stall family storyline with his brother blackout, also an action figure. You know, because uh, I just, I thought it was cool. I thought it was all very G.I. Joe. Uh, and, uh, you know, let's get the toys out and play. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, I think, a cool part. And I, I think it really worked with the original line as well. I think it it gave a lot of momentum to, to, a, to a story. Possibly one of the things that around the IDW run where, where Larry Hammer's been working on it is that he do, he's, doesn't have that pressure to keep on introducing new characters and I think as a storyteller, just going, look, here's a new character, here's a new vehicle, do something with them. All of these ideas will start pinging and sort of push you in a certain direction. Whereas if it's do whatever you want, you know, it's it's some possibly just too broad, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Barrel Roll, uh, named after Dwight Stahl, the lead designer for three and three quarter line at the time. You mentioned Thomas Stahl, his brother, being the blackout uh, Cobra Sniper character that, that we'll see further down the run, and also Bomb Strike, Alyssa Rene Stahl, uh, named after his daughter, I believe. Uh, yeah, I believe so. I uh, Bomb Strike, I don't think existed until after I was almost done no, writing Joe, no. so I never got a chance to include her. But yeah, uh, so those characters, and then Paige Adams was uh, a Blaylock character who I liked, mm -hmm. but they just mm -hmm. kept calling her Paige Adams, and I was like, yeah, she needs a yeah. code name. Uh, Mariner, oh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about Paige Adams. Um, <laughs> Mariner, I just kind of made up. I think I I I I feel like that's what happened. Um, and then Verona, yeah. I was I was a huge fan um, of De Diana uh, joining the team. Whose idea was that, Brandon? That might have been. No, that was mine. Mm, yeah, mm. Mariner's name was a an existing green shirt, David Adcox, who did appear as a fairly generic green shirt in issue two, but, but literally a name in a speech bubble. So, so I don't think existed beyond, beyond that. Yeah. Um, I think I was just I, closing loops, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Doing, doing your research and sort of, ah, I can put that in. And Ver, yeah, Verona, uh, obviously we'd, we'd seen her sort of join the Joes, but hadn't done an awful amount uh, other than sit on the sofa, watching TV, bad cooking shows and so on. That's uh, yeah. Call back to issue eighteen of uh, Frontline, where where she was watching the Roblox uh, cooking cooking show. But right, right. So, um, but yeah, where where did I guess the the name Verona? That was that was uh, your idea. Yeah, that was my idea. Um, and uh, I just you know I I thought it was a, an appropriate enough name for her. Uh, Tim gave her the 
the little you know symbology there uh mm-hmm. he came up with that but uh wait 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 help, help us out how, how is it appropriate what is a verona a crow okay and she's a sniper so i figure you know high position yeah always like, yeah, watching crow's nest. Crow's nest. yeah <laughs> yeah and with all of these new joes we we uh, jay already hinted at it we get this very sort of subtle uh kind of again closing the loop the green shirts uh, are being yes. retired <laughs> so i think uh sweep them out of there. Yeah, yeah i think, yeah, a, I a, think nice, a nice a nice little subtle uh let's find the page there this is oh yeah it's uh um we're also changing our security policies. From now on, our green shirt trainees will learn their trade in various military bases nationwide. <laughs> and they won't even know this facility exists until they're initiated as full team members. The ones who already know are being upgraded to cadet class. <laughs> and let's, and let's that's, never uh, talk of them again. Them again. <laughs> that's, 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 Hawk. That's, Hawk. that's Hawk. And behind him, two of the former green shirts are high-fiving. That's right. They I should made say, it out. I should say, no, uh, I should say hacker. Uh, I should say hacker is where'd that page go? Hacker is high fiving. Depth charge. Uh, depth charge. Yeah. No, mariner. He's high fiving right. mariner. Yeah. So uh, a new figure who was not a green shirt is high fiving a new character never made into a toy who was a green shirt. So it's not technically two green shirts high fiving, but basically. <laughs> And and we are worth calling out that, that of these characters that that are are these new toys that this was the spy troops era of GI Joe where you would typically get um, it'd be a two pack of of figures and they'd have these extra bits of gear that would mean that they can pretend to be a, a character on on the other side. So there was some some clever little things like shipwreck shipwreck came with a Cobra Commander outfit. The the dreadnought is he called Burnout? He came with some uh, kind of swap gear. It's yeah, they played into it uh, more on some figures uh, than than on others. But yeah, barrel roll was uh, a key one. So he he came with this air assault vehicle and um, like the Cobra helmet and the you know the, this the Cobra logo on the, on the on that sort of glider vehicle thing. Yeah. So, yeah, and speaking of that, I just wanted to say, Barrel Roll, out of all the Spy Troop stuff, he had that cool gear for a Cobra mm. character disguise uh, that's based around a character that we've never seen. Uh, I ended yeah. up calling them Raptor Vipers in this, right? But, like, because uh, I just love that that's ridiculous, Raptor Viper. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, also, like, <laughs> I, I loved that the glider and and that that helmet and everything i'm like well okay let's just make this a thing and let's you know again playing with the toys but like i really wanted a a proper raptor viper figure i had multiple barrel roll figures so i could have a little army of raptor vipers (laughs) i want to i like this is an important point i want to clarify this for our listeners so barrel roll has this jetpack thing with wings and a helmet and some armor and like gauntlets and there and there and what what Brandon is saying is there is no action figure that was released that is a Cobra, which is what Barrel Roll is pretending to be. And so in this issue, we we do see actual, quote, Raptor Vipers, which is a couple of Cobras, in this flying armor. So that in the story, you could say, oh, when Barrel Roll pretends to be a Cobra and he like puts on some of their gear, he has taken their gear as opposed to like, he has a giant backpack and in it, he's like, ah, I just can't wait till I can put on my giant jetpack and this helmet that has half a Cobra logo on it. And I can like 
run up behind those other cobra, those raptor vipers, and my color's a little bit different because I'm still a Joe, right? And I can say like, hey guys, are we going back to base? Um, so this is this is another kind of, um, this isn't like a um, like closing a loop, like tying something off from the Blaylock run. This is closing a loop, uh, sort of like a, a small hole in the toy line, like filling a logic uh, a small logic gap. Yeah, and we're being given not just a new in the comic, but we're not just being given one new Joe. We're also being given a, a new legion of Cobra troops uh, as well at the same time. So uh, yeah, double double your money. Buy all our so, play sets and toys. So um, I have I have some overall thoughts about story in this issue, and I have some overall thoughts about um, art and color. And uh, my 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 sort of narrative points are. Um, I was surprised when Cobra Commander and Storm Shadow on page two get back so quickly and Cobra Commander reclaims Cobra for his own. And I thought, oh, that he was gone after he was gone after the big battle in 25 and that the rest of Cobra for the last two issues didn't know where he was. And that Destro taking over in the previous issue was such a an interesting move, and I don't mean awkward bad, I mean like awkward good. Um, I thought there was a lot of drama left to squeeze out of keeping Cobra Commander away, either for the characters, but we know that he's out there, or for the characters and us, and he doesn't appear in the book. So uh, I was surprised that he came back so fast. And then in terms of uh, this would be sort of art and narrative. Um, three pages later, when these six new Joes, some of which are new toys, get introduced, there's a blue background and Duke is, I guess, Hawk. Hawk is narrating each of them, uh, their code name, their real name, their specialty. And it's it's not a six panel page, but it sort of acts like a six panel page, right? It's, it's six vignettes. It's just these characters floating over this blue background. And on the one hand, I like this page treatment because it's this little like G.I. Joe order of battle or like battle lines, battle yeah. files, yeah. Uh, page for each of these characters. And also the rest of the issue, the color is really aggressive and it takes place at night. So we don't get like really good views of their costumes. Mm. So it's nice to get a really basic view of each of their costumes. And also, um, uh, uh, it was those two. Um, <laughs> but I couldn't help but think that in sort of every other G.I. Joe comic, when a new character is introduced, it's it's more often in story. It's mm-hmm. like they're already flying to their mission or like Cobra's attacking and there's just like there's just like a new guy like yep. in the cafeteria or in the like sleeping quarters. And like three established Joes are like, let's go. And they rattle off two other names and a new guy. Um, and so I feel like from a sort of like toy and order of battle and comic book character presentation, this is cool. From a narrative presentation, it like stopped me halfway through this comic. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I want them to be integrated more. Um, the thing with Destro leaving in, in a shock move without consulting Baroness, I wrote this down because I hadn't gotten to the page yet where He's about to get on a, was it a helicopter? Yeah. And she she shows up and she says, why are you leaving without talking to me? And he says, that's a test. It's like, are you coming with me? The fact that you're not coming with me or so clearly coming with me shows that, you know, we're, we're not doing well or you should stay or I don't want to be with you, whatever it is. Um, 
And when he just leaves, he just says to Cobra Commander, well, you're back. I'm leaving. I thought I wrote down like I wrote page three. Wait, Destro is leaving without the Baroness, without consulting the Baroness. So I'm glad that the writer of this issue included something about their relationship and makes it a test because I can kind of see them doing that. But for me, it didn't ring true to Destro's character, even even if he knows something that I don't. And it's revealed a bunch of pages later. I thought, no, 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 there should have been a conversation beforehand. And I, th- I think, you know, we'll we'll give we'll give a pass as as well to to this to some degree. So I've I've been sneakily reading ahead a little bit. I've been getting <laughs> carried away. So so there's uh, this is touched upon again, and there so there there is a a bit more of a storytelling logic to what's going on than than is potentially revealed just in the pages of uh, this issue. So I'd say to be continued maybe on that on that specific quibble. quibble. Yes. Yes. My my, uh, my last um sort of narrative uh uh bullet point is that I like the idea of introducing a bunch of new characters cuz Marvel issues certainly would would do that um uh, whether it's a couple or many all at once. But I I since Devils do didn't have to introduce new characters. I found that introducing you know, we, we've seen Dana before and we've sort of seen uh, Paige Adams before. Um, so it's not six new characters, but it's four and a half new characters. <laughs> and they are on this mission with Torpedo. So I like that it's an established Joe and a bunch of new people. Um, but I I would like fewer new people all at once. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh... Especially on a mission, you want to kind of sprinkle some some old guys in there more than just torpedo and uh who was the other one was there another one flint uh, kind of yeah flint kind of flint kind of yeah <clears throat> yeah yeah uh first off i, I want to go back to uh destro and the baroness if i may uh you know uh i uh i deliberately very deliberately actually i i know a lot of times i tell you guys oh yeah no i i don't know what i was doing there uh, uh in this case <laughs> i did I know exactly what you're talking about, about how Cobra Commander goes away and everybody else gets to work, you know, trying to screw him over as much as possible while they can and get their own power base (laughs) sorted until he comes back because he's always going to come back. In this case, I wanted to do exactly the opposite and have him return so suddenly. uh, And instead of doing the the other thing that happens in G.I. Joe comics where Cobra Commander comes back and they all start arguing or they all start you know bickering over what's going to happen or he has to lay down the big smack and punish everybody right out of the gate uh i i wanted to take a thing where destro's just like nope i'm out and you know uh yes it is sudden yes he did not consult the baroness even cobra commander and tomax and zamot think this is odd right uh so i wanted them to speak for the audience and be just like wow this is this is this is definitely not the norm, right? Uh, so with that, with the introducing of the new Joes, you're 100 percent right. Yeah, usually they get introduced right in the middle of a big battle uh, and everything. Uh, I wanted to spend the battle time uh, focusing on action and not so much exposition because I wanted you know there's the the sort of twist to that whole mission. Uh, but but moreover. Uh, 
the intent of introducing them all at once, as I read this, I I, I remember, uh, was really about using that moment to close those loops. We had just buried a bunch of Joes, right? And, uh, you know, this whole thing about getting rid of the green shirts and, and all of that was, was deliberate so that all of that business could be cleared up in one fell swoop that, that was a logical grouping of, of things, right? So, so that's, that's why I, I'm a big fan of bringing in new Joes mid-mission, uh, you know, the pipeline ploy where they bring in the new bullet stoppers, uh, I mean replacements, uh, you know, and they just dump a bunch of new Joes on us and others have to leave because they're wounded and tired, right? Uh, I love that that gag, but in this case, yeah, I wanted to kind of have a definitive reshuffling of, of the deck uh, in that way. Cool. Jay, did you, uh, did you have any thought, particular thoughts on, on this issue overall? Uh, when I was reading it, just what you guys have already talked about, really, is, you know, as I was reading it, I'm like, oh, there's another toy. There's another toy. There's another toy. <laughs> uh, there's just a lot of stuff to go through. And I was like, oh, there's the sea sled. There's the, you know. Uh, yeah, so it's it's really cool to see a lot of that stuff. Um, I'm going to complain about the color again real briefly. Uh, <laughs> terrible. Terrible. Uh, now, I'm reading this. Like I said, I've got two different copies. I've got a digital copy and I've got a trade paperback. And I... God bless whoever scanned this one, because uh, the digital copy looks much better than my trade paperback. The trade paperback, again, is just so dark. You can barely tell what the hell's going on. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd really love to see some uh, black and white versions of these pages. But, uh, yeah, I, I like the story a lot better overall. We're, we're starting to get into more of, um, you know, obviously, this is part one of, of what we say, players and pawns. So it's, you know, things are ramping up. Or the other ones have just kind of been setting things up. Destro Baroness, eh. I thought I liked it that I liked it when uh, you know Cobra Commander came back and Destro was just immediately was like, "All right, I'm out." Because after the, uh, the the issue 17, I think that we talked about a frontline. That's kind of what I said. I was like, "Okay, Cobra Commander just hired someone to kill Destro, <laughs> the guy he buys his <laughs> weapons from." I'm like, "There's no." conceivable reason in the world why Destro would continue this relationship anymore. You don't care how much money Cobra Commander's paying for all this crap. He would be like, you tried to kill me. It's all right. It was so, a test. Yeah. I'd be like, and, and now he's doing the same thing to Baroness, I guess. And a lot of a testy people around, but um, <laughs> yeah. So to me, I was like, and you can kind of tell it. I thought it was funny on that. Uh, I think it's page. Well, it's the first page Cobra Commander's voice. And I don't know whether, <laughs> Look at the sixth panel. Destro just looks pissed off in that panel. And I don't know whether he's he's mad because of the claw commander that he just got done, you know, ripping a new one. Or whether he hears De- Cobra Commander's voice and he's like, here we go. This is it. You know how it is when you know, you know, something you've been waiting for something. So Cobra Commander walks in and he's like, all right. Dick, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay, that's been a long time coming. So that wasn't a surprise at all. And then, yeah, we get into the stuff with the new Joes. And then, and I kind of, I I just brushed over this in the, uh, in the plot breakdown, the, the confrontation between Hawk and uh, Scarlet. Not real sure how, how we all feel about this, uh, you know, Snake Eyes going out on his own and, and Hawk all of a sudden being like, I don't know, crazy, m- furious about it. And every time we see him, he looks like he's going to, 
his eyes are going to pop out of his head in this pan. So he goes to Tim does draw an angry hawk. Yeah. And and Scarlet's like, look, don't even start. She's like, we, we did this. We did this. We did this. So now what have you got to say? And then you turn the panel. Hawk is just like, he's more, he looks even more pissed off than Destro on the first page. He's like Duke. And then Duke's like, uh, I don't know. But (laughs) yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what you're building to there. It's kind of, you know, I, I think that there's got to be something going when you, on. When you're arguing with someone and they're, and they're entirely reasonable and have a much better argument than you do, and you're, you're sort of like, yeah, well, I suppose that is kind of true. Right. <clears throat> I'm still angry. <laughs> I'm still angry. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. Uh, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of walking out of rooms angrily uh, in this issue. Uh, yeah, you got two on one page right here. We get Hawks back, Destro's back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But no, I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed this issue. I'm looking forward to uh, to the next one. This one was good and didn't have any terribly offensive parts of dialogue. Uh, so, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Thanks. <laughs> it know. wasn't terribly offensive. Thanks, Jay. Uh, I, does anybody know? <laughs> I have actually forgotten. Uh, I put so many new toys in here. Um, I've got the Lampreys. I've got uh, Copperhead, who I love. Watermocks and also yeah. a favorite toy. Not practical application here. Um what are these cobra diver guys called? They're not eels. They were new at the time. Uh, that's I, not Hydra Viper, I know. No. Right? Because that's the guy that's got like... Uh, Is that a, a new version of the eel? I don't know. It, like a fin head or something? Yeah, I don't think they called it an eel. And uh, anyway, I can't remember what they're called now all of a sudden. But yeah, I, I I thought it was great. I was reading through here and I was like, I even specifically get to the page where Copperhead and the Lamprey are, are chasing the grenade. And I was like, ah, it's a Lamprey. And it was just so cool to see a, a figure like that that you just never see. You know, I mean, yeah, it, it's like it's like Ace on the cartoon or something. It's, it's like, who flies the Sky Striker? Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, well, this is the guy that drives the lamp that drives the Morites. Yeah. This guy, not ripper or somebody else <laughs> this guy and i also thought it was really cool how when they all pile on the devil fish and it's just like you said about uh about the cover of was it 47 or 48 that had a beachhead wetsuit and hawk on the devil fish yes. that poster or that that cover is like one of the most iconic and best ones of the of the line and that was such a great such a great toy commercial i mean i i think literally i mean it's true that i got Devilfish, Hawk, and Wetsuit in the store at the same time. And probably Beachhead, like, very right around there. I got the Devilfish so. and Wetsuit at the same time, and I was elated, right? Like, yeah. th- that you can get the water guy and the water ship at the same time if they don't come together. Like, that's that's yep. a good trip to the store. Uh, and it's cool to see them on here, how they are, you know. I mean, it's completely impractical. You're not going to have somebody sitting or standing on the side of a little tiny boat like that. <laughs> no, that's not. They a did in our toys. <laughs> so yeah, you know, put put them in here on the on the comic. And uh, the hydro sled, which is such an obscure little oh, vehicle. Yeah. I was always trying to dig up those weird, like you know, I'm the one who put the buzz bores in the uh, in the, in the Battle of Cobra Island because I just think they're ridiculous, uh, but I love them. <laughs> but yeah, I mean if. If you're going, if you're sort of thinking back to the best G.I. Joe nautical battles with that, you know, the Devilfish uh, cover, you, you know, you've got to have a Devilfish and a Hydro Sled, really, haven't you? Yeah. Mm. Um, to answer your question about who these Cobra 
scuba guys are. There's a 2004 figure, the Electric Eel, which was released both in a green yeah. and yellow color scheme and also a like black and gray yep. with red highlights figure. And that's that's who this appears to be. Thank you. Um, all right. So Tim, Tim Seeley's artwork in this, um, I continue to see a lot of really stale, straight up and down <laughs> poses. Uh, just, I mean, like page two, like that's okay. You you can have a, you can have two people walking into a room uh, as a splash page. Uh, it's more dynamic if the artist introduces some kind of diagonal. But then look on page three, right? Panel one, Cover Commander and Destro talking straight up and down, right? Then the next panel, it's like okay, we've got a quarter angle where we're like up in the ceiling looking down. Good, okay. And then the third panel, straight on Destro. The fourth panel, straight on Baroness, straight on Destro. Fifth panel, straight on Destro. Tim Seeley draws so much one-point perspective in this, where we're just always like in a room looking like we're parallel with the two walls on either side of us, and we're perpendicular with the wall or the door in front of us. Like, turn the page, Route 66, one-point perspective. Next panel, Joe's having a party. They're all just standing straight up and down. One point perspective. We're looking straight on at this wall, and that line where the wall meets the ceiling above the Joe's heads is a horizontal line. Next two panels, uh, Hawk and Duke coming in, straight on shot. It's not dynamic. There's very little dynamism, and you know, like I see that on the cover, and I see that a little bit in the fight scene. Um, but uh, when I when I when I say that Tim Seeley's GI Joe artwork to me is is boring or if i'm if i'm oversimplifying it and i say something like it's bad or it's not good i don't mean his actual like drawing of eyeballs and faces and hands and tech it's like that stuff looks good and it's appealing what i mean is like acting and panel compositions and page layout and i'm reminded of the the ninja showdown in the previous issue where we had a hard time following what was happening and um, I have a hard time, not as much, but I, I sort of got lost with the water fight in this issue. I think some of that is the color because everyone's colored kind of the same once once it's like nighttime in the Atlantic with like a full moon. Um, everyone becomes this sort of like glowing, cool blue, gray, black. And the Joe costumes in 2003, 2004... There's a lot of sort of repetition, you know, it's like when you just look at it, like a photo of a bunch of the toys lined up, it's like a lot of them have like very similar kinds of pants and very similar kinds of boots and very similar kinds of like jackets or flight jackets or shirts or jumpsuits. Um, And you compare that to, this is not fair, but I'm just going to pick three Joes from like 83, 84, like blowtorch, gung-ho, shipwreck. You know, it's like one guy is not wearing a shirt. One guy is wearing short sleeves and one guy is wearing a like crazy fire retardant suit. Um, So in terms of the choreography of this fight, it's like, okay, there are, there are a couple Joe vehicles and the Joe's split up, but I'm sort of off on the wrong foot because when the mission starts um, page um, 10, right? We see the Tomahawk over the Gulf of Mexico. Like great. And then, uh, that third panel, uh, Mayday is drawn in this babe pose, which I find really distracting. It's like, 
you wouldn't quite draw a man in that pose, like a, a Joe, a male Joe in that pose, uh, but okay. So the first panel of page 11, just above Mayday's head, like in the distant background, there's a silhouette. Now it's been knocked back. It's not printed as pure black. It's printed as like a 75% blue gray. And I don't, I don't know what that is. And then above it, next to the like radio transmission word balloon cropped from the top of the page is another silhouette. And I don't know what that is. Is that like the tomahawk, like in the distance above them? Like, I think that's these two like um, jet skis, like going sort of over the camera, away from our point of view, over the devilfish. I think the um, large object is the tomahawk, and the small is definitely one of those jet skis. Okay. So then in the next panel, where, with the full moon, uh, there's there are two Joes, and I can kind of see one jet ski, but it's blocked by a pair of arms, and I can kind of see the handlebars of another jet ski, but it's cropped out of the panel. And like then at the bottom of the page, um, two Cobra uh, sea sleds uh, either get like dispatched from the um, moray or like come out from behind it. And like Tim Seeley draws them both like straight on, which is like not dynamic. So in addition to like not the most exciting sort of action comics drawing, I get some sort of like too many elements that are not properly shown or they're overlapping or they're like in silhouette and and then on top of this it's like okay six new joes i don't know who these people i mean i know who one and a half of them are right but but you know it's like if it was gung-ho like not wearing a shirt it's like okay i know who that is but like you know like barrel roll and snipe face and green pants and uh, like, like wide scope and scope scope wide and like the, i'm sorry the joes of 2003 and four and five a lot of them blend together for me okay first um, off show a little respect snipe face was killed on cobra island you monster uh, okay i just show show some respect come on so um i I, I like the idea of this fight. I, you know, and I love I love seeing the moray. I love seeing um, a lamprey. I love seeing someone try to deal with a grenade. It's one of my favorite conventions oh. in like <laughs> combat too. stories. Me too. Um, I love, I love um, Copperhead. Uh, and I think I like the sort of like phoneticization of his uh, accent, which is certainly helpful when I'm reading it. Um, but when you, when you, when you take it to its like furthest logical conclusion and Chris Claremont is writing Rogue <laughs> and Cannonball in 1980s New Mutants and X-Men comics, it's like, oh, is this mean? <laughs> um, but um, uh, it's like when when Dave Sim does two of the Rolling Stones when he, uh, in, in Cerebus around issue like, uh, I forget, 215. Like, during High Society, I think. Thank you. It's, uh, I mean, he does it for lots of characters. Yeah, he specifically yeah. does Mick Jagger uh, and Keith Richards. And it's really funny. But also it's like, well, it's like you can do this with like a British white person, but there are lots of people on the world, on the earth, where if you did this, it might be offensive. So I actually don't know what the rule is. <laughs> um, so uh, I had a hard time following this fight. Uh, I did think the bit at the end where uh, Barrel Roll gets picked up by uh, a Cobra soldier or a... a I think it's a Cobra soldier and not a, right? It's not a Neo Viper, right? It's just yeah, a new just Cobra a soldier. New version of the troop. Um, and this, uh, the, the, the wordless panel of the handshake, him getting pulled up, and then the split 
quote screen panel where you can see under his helmet. That's really fun. And I think it's really clever that this like very toyetic feature, right? Which got its own name. It's like the entire year of the toys. Spy troops, like kids, like jaded 28 year old collectors. Pretend one of your character is on the other team. (laughs) Like that's that's not introduced when they're back on base. You know, Hawk and Duke aren't like, oh, and uh, Snipeface and Barrel Roll uh, each have these helmets that let them disguise themselves as like other kinds of vipers, right? It just happens in story and that's really fun. So uh, that that's redeem that's redeeming for me. Excellent. Uh, but there are some buts. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on right there at first. I, I, like I get to the bottom of that page, and I was like, "What? What? What is Torpedo saying?" And then I get down, and I'm like, "Why are they showing that guy?" I really had to. I'm I'm ashamed, honestly, now that I think about it. That I, I didn't put it together that quick, but yeah, I had to look at that for a long time and. <laughs> try to figure it out one of the butts for me and i'm not talking about Paige adams getting onto the devilfish uh, earlier on which is fine um, bah, 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 bah. the uh the was <laughs> the panel just above that sort of split of um barrel roll uh reveal where they're the joes are getting back into the into the chopper there's a kind of a a bit of a severe tangent of the bottom of the the loading ramp against the the horizon which was making me think uh, is the loading ramp sort of dipped down into the into the water so not, <laughs> not, you know that would that would cause a bit quite a lot of drag i think as, as you were to fly by uh is the is all the water that's being kicked up on either side of it is that from the rotor blade is that from the the like, oh, yeah. ramp actually having hit the water <laughs> but but that that aside i think that that was my only only real gripe about the uh about the the art i did have yeah one uh Following up on the point before you had mentioned Copperhead, I think this is probably the most we've seen of Copperhead in the in the comics to date, and certainly the most that he's he's spoken. And I guess that's um, like a Cajun accent or something yeah. of that ilk. Yeah, we hear him in like two episodes oh, right. of uh, Sunbow, and then uh, and that's that's Frank Welker. Hold it right there. Well, well. It looks like what we got here is a couple of G.I. jungle rats. And the only thing a rat's good for is target practice. Ready? Aim? Yo, Joe! Come on, let's join this pool party. And then he's recast for Operation Dragonfire. And I forget who does the voice, but there's like sort of doing that voice. Okay. So we've we've heard him in about three episodes ah, of the show. And that's like, so this is consistent. Did Larry ever use him in A-Raw? Mm. I remember way back when we had the water moccasin, but I don't no. remember seeing him. In, he's on the he's on the cover of 24, right? Yeah, and I think, I, he's, Larry's, he's, Larry's he's there, but he doesn't do anything except drive the water box. And I think I think uh, uh, I don't think Larry I don't think Hama used him. Uh, I th- but he didn't he show up recently in the last like 30 issues. Didn't he have a scene? It seems like I remember you guys maybe saying something about it, but I couldn't tell you when we, we have another concrete connection where the devil's due continuity is both the marvel continuity and the animated continuity because not just copperhead gets a cajun accent but also hector ramirez shows up and specifically you know what i'm going to save that for my uh, i mean it's he gets a whole two pages but i'm going to save the second half of this sentence for my eyes i just flicked over just flicked over to look at issue 25 cover and it's actually it looks like it's cobra commander who's piloting the moccasin 
there and and in oh, the yeah. in, so i don't i don't yeah. think in in that story he he appeared um back in uh, back in issue 25 at all tim, tim sure draws um, him like a beast though man he's a big dude Cop- <laughs> copperhead's a he, brute the figure was pretty big the figure seemed pretty muscular he had a large head the figure and stuff <laughs> Yeah, he was a cool, he was a cool-looking figure. I, you know, it's a shame that we didn't see see more of him in the uh, original run. I did, I did have something there to crowbar in with the with the point about sort of the grenade shenanigans being thrown onto the hydrofoil, um, which was that when there's a bomb on the boat that's no longer afloat, that's a more. Wow! Wow! Oh! Wow! Oh well. Well. <laughs> hey, anybody know what an aneurysm feels like? Because uh, <laughs> I think that was my Winter Soldier activation song. Something's happening <laughs> to my head. I've got, a, I've got a nosebleed. That was terrible and beautiful all at once. Oh, side note, those are not electric eels. Uh, to further underscore the complicated world of toy naming when you don't hold all the copyrights to things, those troopers are Cobra Mores, not to be confused with the Moray Hydrofoil that is present in the same. Uh, I just tracked it down uh, in the same issue. Also, wait, wait, what year? What year is the Cobra Moray? Two thousand three. This is in that weird phase when they brought GI Joe back, but they had done away with the swivel arm uh, with the the O rings, and they had yeah. the the Star Wars legs. Right. And the, the they just had the hip and the knee articulation, and everybody said no, uh, mm-hmm. and then they stopped doing that. <laughs> Um, he came in a two pack with wetsuit, appropriately, the Cobra Moray. So he actually predated. He he was an old toy at the time of this. Even he's a couple right. years removed. Um, right, right. Yeah. So so there you go. I think it's a really cool design uh, that was made into an action figure that did not have enough articulation. So also, yeah, yeah. I w- I would defend Tim Seeley on one point. I just realized you never see him. You never see the sea sled, the Cobra sea sled. Uh, from the side, except in silhouette once, and I would imagine it's probably pretty weird to draw that thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah people are laying toy. on it, right? And I just I thought it was a cool thing that we hadn't seen in the in the comics, but I would un- I would understand logically looking at this like, oh, well, these two cobras are on a futon uh, <laughs> chasing <laughs> chasing GI Joe through the ocean, like you know what I mean? I, I kind of get it actually. I, but what you're what you're saying is that's hard to draw, and so this professional comics artist gets a pass <laughs> for not trying to draw it. No, but also the design of the vehicle, there isn't much to it apart from the front. Uh, true. I, I mean, there's there's a great view of it on the package art. <laughs> some some might say that the jackass writer got real excited <laughs> about a toy he remembered and didn't think about the logical applications of having to draw the damn thing. Uh, and the artist was just like, whatever, uh, as he was uh, well within his rights to do. I'm guessing maybe that jackass writer didn't have the sled when he was a kid. Oh, he did. Did he you? just never had to draw I did, it, and I, I always knew what an impractical, <laughs> stupid thing it was. It was one of those toys where you get because it's got G.I. Joe on it, and then you get it home and you're like, how the fuck am I supposed to use this? You're, listen, you're not wrong, but I'm not going to say you're right. <laughs> am, I, am I misremembering? Was it in the first the first appearance of it, the, the, in the, the issue with the devilfish on the front, front cover? Was there a line of dialogue that said something like, this boat is totally impractical. It would just have one large <laughs> wake, wake wave, and you're going to capsize. 
I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> you of the of the four of us, Mark, you are probably sitting the closest to a hardcover bound volume, including issue forty seven. Probably. So maybe uh, while the other three of us talk about something else, <laughs> uh, you might have time uh, to grab that um, to grab that book. Um, and then at the end of the comic, we've got this. Uh, we've mentioned hawk on this talk show with hector ramirez and we've mentioned all the new characters in the water battle beforehand we haven't mentioned this page transition uh which is at after the water battle where uh it turns out to be hector ramirez is narrating and we're seeing i don't think it's footage i don't think it's like b-roll from this talk show i think we're actually seeing what's happening in uh sierra gordo where uh, uh troops from neighboring sierra muerte an army of high-tech invaders cross the border from a neighboring Sierra Muerte. And we see them, uh, we see, we see uh, jungle, we see firefighting in the jungle. We see some armored soldiers with like fatigue pants. So it, it sort of feels like Cobra, even though the, like the color scheme doesn't say Cobra. And then we see them, some uh, soldiers getting uh, taken out. And then, uh, and then it turns out to be a question that Hector Ramirez is asking of, hawk uh so he says you know the president has said that we we can't intervene militarily uh hawk you're in charge of the gi joe team uh are we gonna are we gonna do that and hawk says no but maybe maybe wink um (laughs) and so i wanted i wanted to ask uh my co-hosts um actually i wanted to ask my co-hosts and then also the writer of this comic why not um uh sort of how brandon and uh uh no brandon second um jay and maybe mark um, we have another concrete reminder here that G.I. Joe is much more public than it used to be. So does this work for you, Jay? And then uh, Brandon, like, how do you how do you like square that circle? How do you how do you think of or deal with the G.I. Joe that is like somewhat declassified? So, Jay, I it doesn't really work for me that well. I would prefer for G.I. Joe to be uh, more secret. I guess it kind of comes back to what what the real nature of the, the conflict is and, and and what what Cobra is like in this um in this continuity. Because remember, I mean we would see in in uh in the Sunbow cartoon especially. Well I mean we've talked about Cobra Commander coming on TV and you know calling out the Joes and stuff like that. And then you would have wave after wave after wave of tanks and his tanks and stuff coming over the hill. And, you know, everybody knew, obviously, because they fr- freaking attacked Washington, D.C. and every other city in the in the in the country. But it just goes kind of goes back to how how much is the general public aware of what Cobra does? You know, like look at in real life, 9-11. Well, OK, everybody knows about Al-Qaeda when they do something huge like that. But how many people know about a group like Boko Haram? I mean, there's a lot of smaller a lot of smaller groups that people just don't know about because they haven't done anything massive and horrific that would warrant a public group opposing them i kind of prefer for the joes to be secret but i understand that since this continuity is is kind of a blending you know i don't know if we ever had uh hector ramirez in in marvel's a ride i don't think so but now that we do and here so it's you know, those rules kind of loosen up, I think, in, in areas like that. Like like we talked about last last issue, uh, Roadblock, being a chef, Flint writing a book, that kind of thing. We've established that the Joes are are public. 
it's just a matter of how public and how much does the public know about each Joe, I guess. But yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, if it were, if it were me, uh, I wouldn't have done it that way. I'm, I'm sure Brandon had his reasons. Um, and, and yeah, like I said, I, I can't fault him for it because that's the established universe that he went into. So, uh, yeah, so that, that was my doing. Um, and that definitely, uh, started with, uh, the Scott Sturgis story, uh, very pointedly, uh, and on purpose. So, you know, growing up with G.I. Joe, like, like we all did, uh, I realized that there, there was coming a point where I had to decide what my G.I. Joe was going to be and how it would, you know, fall into the greater story that is so important to me as a fan, but also have its own identity. And, and, you know, uh, it, it wasn't ever really truly. And, and I've had people tell me I'm lying. Uh, I didn't set out to be like, I'm going to make this more like the cartoon because the cartoon wasn't my, my jam really in, in, in the sense that I strongly preferred the, you know, the comics and the file cards and, and that lore. However, I wanted to have a reporter. I didn't see a reason it shouldn't be Hector Ramirez, right? That's a, it's a little call out. It doesn't hurt anything. In terms of the Joes being public, this was a, a time, it certainly wasn't a new concept uh, at the time, but, but, you know, thinking back to this era uh, of, of life in America, uh, this was a time when more and more people wanted answers and accountability from the government and uh, from the military and uh, from the, the highest points of power. And I thought rather than playing those time-honored G.I. Joe traditions of let's spend three pages going to Fort Huachuca and talking about how nobody knows we're here, which is great. That's a, that's a key part of the lore. I wanted to put the G.I. Joe team and Cobra into different circumstances and uh, a different relationship with the world. And, and I will say, uh, you know, Mark has, has read ahead a little bit. Uh, the, there, the, these are all things that definitely continue to come into play and uh, continue to be uh, set pieces and problems uh, for, for the team going forward. But I just thought that in an age of the internet and new media and uh, a growing sort of public demand for information and oversight and awareness, it seemed logical that this anti-terrorist team who wears garish outfits and goes around stopping snake-themed terrorists uh, from doing all sorts of insane things in global hotspots around the world. Like somebody's going to find out and somebody's going to notice. And, you know, you, you can only tell them it's a weather balloon for so long. So I wanted to, I, it was all a complication that I intentionally added. And some people did not like it. Uh, but for me, it was, a, it was a way to bring a different circumstance into the setting and, and, you know, complicate things. I wouldn't say that I don't like it uh, because it does work with what you've done. And I, and I like how I like where this scene especially goes, you know, at first it's kind of like, what the hell is Duke doing? You know, or is Hawk doing talking to this guy now, but then where it leads up and how, how the issue wraps up is like, Oh damn. So yeah. I mean, as long as, as long as it's good and, and you know, it leads to, to good moments where if I were reading this month to month, I'd be like, what the hell is Hawk dead? 
I'm like, I got to get the next issue to see what happens to Hawk. Uh, also, I I uh, I do love the concept that that I always took away from the cartoon, and I used it here on that last page, which is, you know, there is one guy at Cobra who works for Cobra Commander, and Cobra Commander's like, I want to send a message, and he's like, you want to do like, you want to mail something, or like, do you want to, you want to <laughs> like send an email? He's like, put my face on every screen, and the guy's like, yeah, no, got it, no problem, and they call that guy like his name is Screens or something, right? And he do <laughs> like any TV in the world, he can commandeer. Uh, and and put Cobra Commander's face on it because Cobra Commander loves being on television. So um, don't laugh all at once, guys. Some of the jokes <laughs> don't land. It's okay. Well, I mean, it goes without saying, yeah. right? You know, he Cobra like Commander's he does love shows. being on television, Brandon. That's a very astute observation. Well, and clearly loves the sound of his own voice. You don't talk like that with. Make sure you, know, you get my best side. Listen. <laughs> Watch Cobra Commander be in the bathroom going, this damn toothpaste. (laughs) (laughs) Completely alone. So on the second to last page. Completely uh, alone is right. (laughs) Hawk finishes the interview with Hector Ramirez. And in that first panel, there's a character who sort of sticks out in the background all the way on the right. And then we see that character again. They've got a a turtleneck and a like a a sports blazer or like an overcoat, an overcoat. So in panels two and three, uh, Hawk sort of thinks he sees this person and then the person's gone. And then in panel four, this person again with their sort of eyes again in shadow is all the way to the right of the page um, cropped. Uh, So seemingly like moving away from where Hawk and Lady J are. And then the TV studio inside this building explodes. Um, So... Do we take it as this is someone who planted a bomb and got out? Do we take it as this is a suicide bomber? Or do we take it as this is someone else who's interesting in the story and like was also caught up when a bomb went off in this TV studio? That would be your saboteur. That 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 would be your and I, I don't I I don't necessarily think suicide bomber, but I wouldn't rule it out. He okay. either did get out or maybe it's like a bat. Or something that they don't care. I mean, Cobra Commander shoots those things for fun, so they're expendable. <laughs> He's a turtleneck viper. Yeah, and the yeah. I guess the the turtleneck viper, the the, the gray roll neck there, sort of may, may giving slight, you know, slight vibes of Firefly, perhaps. So it's not definitively saying it's him, but you know, you could you could potentially, you know, think it might it might be, um, you know, mysterious guy. You never really get a good look at his face. (laughs) True. (laughs) Just because he's moving his head. That's that's right. Um, (laughs) Out of all the skill sets in the G.I. Joe uh, and Cobra universe, moving your head slightly to avoid being photographed, (laughs) that is like, that's that's the chef's kiss ability right there. You can be highly trained in everything, but you're going to get your picture taken. Not if you're Firefly. Mm -hmm. Um, I found that bit in uh in um back from issue whatever it is uh siege 40 47 that's right um and the the i think the thing that i'm remembering is uh there's a sequence where the devilfish goes in between the two uh sleds and they and hawk says floor it floor it wetsuit plow right between them uh those flat bottom skimmers will capsize in our wake and uh, they do. They go through them, and then there's these uh, the eels piloting the, uh, the the boat, sort of. Whoa! 
as uh, they sort of <laughs> wobble over. <laughs> I, th- I think that's probably what I was I was remembering. But I, good call. I know. I know that I moved on from the sea battle in this issue, and I went to talk about the two scenes after it, or the the scene after it in the transition. But I, I found another note of mine which speaks to um, my confusion about the sea duel. Uh, this 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 sea duel in issue Devils Do twenty eight um, on page fifteen, panel five, the lamprey says um, that Joe boat pilot is no slouch. We have engines, but his missiles took out most of our electronics. Orders, Copperhead, and I thought, wait, when did anyone fire missiles? So two panels below, there's an explosion, but that's the grenade. And then the panel before that, there's like machine gun fire. And two panels before that, on page 14, there's machine gun fire. And uh, before then, the two pages before then, I see the white phosphorus and machine gun fire. So I wasn't sure if some of this fight is happening off panel, because some of it is the devil fish, and then some of it is the two um, uh, jet skis, or if... Like, this struck me as dialogue that's describing something that's not in the art, but I don't know if it was, like, meant to be in the art or if, like, sort of reasonably and casually someone's like, man, they're attacking us from every side. We got hit here and there and here and there and here. And then I'd think, oh, yeah, well, I haven't seen all that. It's, you know, that sort of the, the battle's being truncated for my reading uh, enjoyment. Um, but I, I found that the, the specificity of that line uh, sort of is representative of... of how I have a hard time following this fight. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm reading along with this, and uh, uh, yeah, I guess we are talking about some manner of off-panel action not depicted in the art. Uh, mm-hmm. I yeah, I'm doing a missile check, and you are uh, you are right on the money. Now, if now if earlier on someone's you know like when they're on the devil fish like. Mayday's like patting the two missiles on the side. She's like, can't wait to fire these puppies. <laughs> like, then, then the groundwork is laid. Or, sure. or you know, like uh, 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 Torpedo says to Mayday, you know, remember, as you're sitting on the side of this very fast little boat, like the missiles are going to fire. Don't get your shins burned. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, there's a dangerous well, shin, shin burn. And here's, here's an interesting thing. Uh, when the uh, wow, I, I am now I am now di- disseminating the art here. Uh, so the devilfish has two missiles on either side when it leaves the uh, when it leaves the tomahawk, and then the next time we have an opportunity to see any view of that, uh, uh-huh. it does not have its missiles. So yeah, they went, they got fired at some point. Okay, so there's a little bit more of this scene taking place off panel. Yeah, in your imagination. The rest of that story will be told in, uh, what is this, 27B? (laughs) (laughs) Written by Brandon Jerwa, drawn by... Uh, Actually, uh, no, the cool thing, though, everyone, the cool thing, everyone, though, is that um, 27B, that two-pack, is going to come with a recolor of barrel roll as a raptor viper. I love this. In sort of a gray-brown. And and also... Uh, do I want to play the straight or do I want to make fun? Uh, I don't know. You had me at recolor. Dealer's choice. Uh, I think scope wide. I think, oh, I think it's going to have a <laughs> oh, wide boy. scope recolored in like pink and he's going to be scope wide or something. 
Uh, I was trying to think if there's any figure that looks like uh, Mayday here in the like sea attack. Oh, uh, so, okay. So Paige, Paige Adams. Um, <laughs> do, you all, do you all? Do you all? This is another note on my notes. The three of us. Um, I forget what issue. What was that issue? Like sixteen. There's that scene in the like in the cabal. Uh, I'm thinking of which in, is the, in the mansion in Europe, and someone gets shot like inside from yeah. that like grand staircase and my comment was that the wrong person does the shooting like it should have been uh lady j, lady j because flint was the one who has sort of been wronged and and we we had a hard time figuring out like who it was and why it was this person and then mark said no no it's this green shirt who got mentioned like 15 issues ago is that Paige adams yeah okay. yeah yeah tim <laughs> <laughs> okay all right so I, all i'm doing is admitting that i don't remember this comic that we read for like 10 episodes ago it, it, the, when we did the cabal okay that was Paige adams well I, I think she was blonde back then wasn't she yeah her appearance is quite a bit different in this this is yeah. you know what that's why that's why i had a hard time without actually going and pulling that comic out and doing the research that's why i thought wait have we have you seen this person before because i kind of remember that panel where they're like whoa Paige adams took out so-and-so from across the room. I had remembered this person being uh, blonde. Yeah, now it's kind of, what? Like a strawberry blonde, maybe? Reddish it's, brown? It's brown. Ladies it's change their hair color. Dinah's not on the mission, but she's a sniper too? Yeah. She's a sniper. So, so this introduction page, we have two snipers. When the six Joes uh, reveal their new costumes with the blue background. Cause Three. Mayday's sort of a sniper? Yeah, sort of. Cool. And barrel oil. Three snipers. <laughs> yeah, no, that's also, very true. Yeah, no, we're loaded also, down with snipers. Also, scope wide. <laughs> scope wide is the uh, daytime like crowd control. He's in bright pink so you can see him. Right. And uh, ironically, snipe face, not a sniper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, okay, right. Um, uh, should we move on to I Spy? I Spy with My Little Eye. The whole issue is an I Spy. I think we've touched on everything, probably. I, I, got, I, got, I got two good ones. I got two good ones. Uh, I've used up all of mine apart from one, which I'm sure Tim is about to tell us about. Oh, uh, well... Um, Go for it, Tim. Not, ju- not just that it, this is Hector Ramirez uh, from the cartoon, but his show in this ep- in this issue is called 20 Questions, and he's sitting in front of a 20 Questions logo, and that is what his show is called in the 1985 episode of G.I. Joe. Uh, and that the episode title is 20 Questions. So there's a small one. Uh, also, on the letters page, the first letter is from a letter writer named Tom Whalen, mm. and... The reply is, now I don't normally put fan art here, but this one struck my, quote, wacky ninja bone. Thanks, Tom. Uh, and Tom is also saying that he likes the comic. And there's a little bit of fan art there. It's like two inches by two inches in this comic book that I'm holding. And it's a very flat, cartoony, no outlines, just just color, Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow fighting in front of a red circle, like the Japanese flag with the Arashikage uh, logo uh, subtly behind it. And I thought... Wait, I know that name, Tom Whalen. Tom Whalen has done a bunch of art uh, for some brands that we all like, like Ninja Turtles and G.I. Joe and Transformers. Um, he was doing some G.I. Joe 
covers for IDW back in 2013. And uh, Tom Whalen created the artwork for the brand new Alley Viper classified figure. Wow. So if you are thinking of the Alley Viper figure right now, where the artwork is on the box, it's like three Alley Vipers and they're facing to the left and they're very flat and graphical. It's just like chunks of orange and dark orange and blue and like darker blue and then like gray for the gun. There's no, there are no lines. There's no rendering. It almost looks like it's like cut paper. Whalen's art to me like owes a lot in a good way to like Russian constructivist posters of the early uh, 20th century. And if you, if you Google his name, you will see a bunch of like prints or like lithographs that he's done for you know, Turtles and G.I. Joe and Transformers and Marvel, where he's got these very flat characters and a lot of, hey, hey, that thing that I like, strong diagonals. But these these images are like meant to be like big posters and the characters are very flat. And yet what's so cool about his art, his sense of color is totally awesome. Like if you look at his, um, he did a Decepticon a poster or print that's got Megatron and the Insecticons and like rumble. And it's all in like warm grays and purples and a little bit of like orange. Um, And he's very much a designer. Like his stuff is like where art, uh, where illustration and graphic design come together because he's dealing with, with shapes and with um, composition. He's not dealing with line. He's not like rendering. He's not drawing the outlines of things dealing with flat form so it's very much in like yeah sort of like propaganda poster or, or even like sort of kind of yeah, instructional yeah. kind of poster sort of vein yeah he's done some really really cool gi joe posters and, and several covers like like cobra files number one and two and so on and um he hasn't just done the ali viper classified um figure he's all he also did the the zartan one the Deluxe Zartan, Zartan Ooh, package nice. with the uh, ro- rotating ah. faces. I am so glad you caught this because I love I love comic book letter pages that feature someone who ended up becoming a writer or becoming an artist or, you know, like these weird little bits of history. I never got a letter published in a comic. I don't think I ever sent one. I think I sent one to G.I. Joe once, uh, but I, I just, you know, uh, I think it's super cool when people have that little moment of, of comic book history uh, to their name. And that's we, what a great bit of information. We should be uh, specific here. It's not just Tom Whalen this, Tom Whalen that. Uh, he has a website, strongstuff.net. I have another small uh, I spy. The first page after the two pages of letters is an internal Devil's Due like, publishing page. And uh, there are four dates for that summer where the Devil's Due crew is going to show up at conventions. And there's a photo of um, someone and someone and Blaylock sitting at the Devil's Due table. And behind them are cosplayers as Destro, Cobra Soldier, Officer, and Soldier. And then um, on the bottom of this page, uh, there's a list of everything that Devil's Due is publishing for the, uh, the following month, April of 2004. Uh, and also the m- month after that for May. And both months, April and May, Devil's Due is publishing nine comics and two softcover collections of comics. And, you know, when you like 
hold an issue in your hand and you count the ads, it's like, oh, there's an ad for Micronauts and Reloaded and Voltron and the next month's regular G.I. Joe. And I, I sometimes forget, you know, this like small publisher two and a half years in or three years in, they weren't publishing three or four comics a month. They were publishing at this point nine Oh yeah, yeah. They got right to it, uh, and and they they really jumped in there and got some licenses, and it was it was exciting at the time. I you know who doesn't love Micronauts, right? Like, uh, and uh, so yeah, I I really thought that they were on a very sort of fast track to to success with with the way that their slate expanded so so quickly. Just you know, two just a little over two years into having GI Joe, very good. Jay or Brandon, did you have any that we've not talked about? I think we've touched on everything, really. I don't have anything else in particular. Uh, yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think I have anything either. Uh, no big, uh, no big things. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I mentioned this earlier that I was definitely uh, trying to be uh, <laughs> trying to be Larry in a couple of spots, specifically with uh, Willie Pete. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, let's see if these mokes like beef. Um, you know, anytime you have to invoke uh, uh, an editorial box <laughs> to explain what you're saying, uh, that is definitely me trying my best Larry impersonation. We all love those little editorial boxes. I mean, I know we've mentioned before certain you know issues that don't have them, and it's like, oh, they haven't. Is it is it the devil's due up until this point that hasn't had them very much, guys? Oh uh, yeah, hardly hardly at all. So so it's yeah, some, yeah, something that's you know sort of. It's nice to nice to have them in there. Exactly. As a kid, that's what we loved because you'd be like, what what does that mean? Oh okay, and yeah, if right. you just needed more, then you'd go. Find an encyclopedia or something. Look it up. It's it's part of that sort of GI, that authentic GI Joe formula. Yeah. One of it is that that kind of military jargon with a little uh, editorial box. Um, yeah, yeah. So so great, great to see that back. Uh, let me throw one little ice by in here real quick. I guess I do have one. I'm flipping back through the pages. Uh, page ten, where the Joes are approaching Cobra Island. The bottom panel, they're getting ready to drop the devil fish. And uh, Torpedo sitting there with his mask and, and stuff on. <laughs> Everybody else is like open-faced and Torpedo's got... And I'm sure if you looked, he'd probably have his flippers on underneath the... In the, thing. <laughs> the, the guy who is uh, logically at the least risk of being in the water in this particular right. configuration, <laughs> he, he's ready to go, right? He is good to go. Also, the, the devil fish's dimensions in that shot are yeah, inter- interesting. Uh, uh, yeah. But it's always funny to see Torpedo, especially, like, in the base, you know, with a mask, goggles, flippers, walking around, <laughs> or in Fort Knox. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to the issue where Gung-Ho and Torpedo go to the Arctic and... Like, I <laughs> Torpedo won't let, will be in a wetsuit. I, uh, or, yeah, and I won't let Gung-Ho put on an Arctic coat, and I also won't let... Torpedo take off his flippers. Perfect. So just, just walking around all this snow and ice and <laughs> craggy, dangerous, sharp rocks. And then we're gonna send Quick Kick in undercover <laughs> in in a like a in like an expensive dinner party, uh, but he will just dress like Quick Kick. <laughs> you have a little bow a little bow tie on. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's, and that's it. it. That's it. That's it. That's the only and change. Make maybe a <laughs> pair of cuffs as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh bless him um 
So, uh, favourite line of dialogue? Quote of the week, 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 quote of the week. Um, talking, sort of leaning into the kind of the, the almost the hammerisms of you know the Willie Pete and whatnot. Uh, I liked uh, I liked um, Mayday's little bit of dialogue where she says, "So the new guys are Section Eight, and uh, talking crazy. Maybe you just saved our tails." And yet there's there's enough on that on the page that it kind of explains what the Section Eight is without necessarily you know you can kind of just the the box, be, without the box, but. Um, uh, but yeah, it's 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 that sort of nice jargon there, where it's like you're kind of slightly outside of the world. And you go, yeah, that's a kind of a military thing about being crazy, right? And and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that was cool. My favorite line, my favorite is on the first page when Destro is talking to the Claws commander, and the Claws commander says he moves the prisoners inside when it started raining, and Destro goes. Thank you for that. I'd certainly hate to think that our prisoners might be uncomfortable. <laughs> like, leave them in the rain. Oh, <laughs> Claws Commander uh, is the heart of the Cobra organization. <laughs> oh, he looks like he's had too much coffee. <laughs> he's like, we've been looking for Dr. Mindbender all night. I haven't wanted to make this phone call. Yeah, is is Destro what use, using a bit of a choke, you know, forced choke there on him? He's pulling at his collar. It's uh, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> He's just afraid. That's what's going to happen. Honestly, uh, it's just that his mask is itchy. I know about that, <laughs> <laughs> right? No, Claus Commander. He was ahead of the game the whole time, right? Okay, uh, let's let's do final thoughts and a yo-jo score. Why not? Um, Brandon, do you want to kick off? What's your what are your kind of final thoughts looking back on this this issue after a little while away from it? I I have to say I'm I'm pretty proud of this issue overall. I think that there's uh, a considerable amount of GI Joeing going on, and you know my my goal was always to make a GI Joe and Cobra book that had plenty of Cobra in it because uh, for me that's that's half the appeal. Uh, I am clearly setting some things into motion here that uh, I think pay off fairly well. I mean, you you be the judge as we move ahead. But uh, this just, uh, it felt like a nice start. Uh, and knowing, you know, how it ends, because <laughs> I wrote it. Uh, <laughs> okay, mostly remembering how it ends, because I wrote it. How about that? Uh, <laughs> I uh, I have to say that, you know, this this kind of accomplishes everything. Hawk, uh, Hawk does come across a little too angry. Uh, I will say, uh, and I, I wanted Hawk to be in a real weird position. I wanted him to be struggling with, you know, the, the team operating correctly uh, and and dealing with the bloat of, you know, green shirts and this massive uh, non-specialist organization that they, they have sort of uh, rebuilt since the relaunch of G.I. Joe. But also this, you know, this nonsense of having to go on TV and being just like, no, we're not going to Sierra Gordo. Come on. Yeah, I man. love it. He's like, no, I don't have any plans to send Joes there. I'm totally and not then... going to send any more Joes there. <laughs> uh, which again, you know, that that whole accountability new media thing, it's you know, it's it's the officials having to go on TV and be just like, no. There's no weapons of mass destruction. Come on. So, you know, it's I just wanted to play with that kind of stuff. And I, I you know, I, I like it. It's it's new and uh, something exciting to throw into the mix. Cool. I'll go next. Why not? So so um, I think 
uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I think we're seeing the the team hitting its stride a little bit more. It, the the sort of the pacing is is good. Um, we sort of mentioned on on the previous issues that that it felt like maybe there was just a couple too many things being being trying to to crack, cram in, and it, it didn't feel quite that same you know that that sort of same feeling of there being just a bit too much. It, it felt uh, a little you know a little bit more uh, like it it could could breathe. There's yeah good action. There's new Joes being introduced. There's a nautical battle, which is uh, is always great in a in a Joe story. So so yeah, and enjoyed it, and and also sort of setting out that it's one of five. So so it feels like you know this is gonna gonna go somewhere, and uh, leaving on a good cliffhanger for for part two. So uh, I think I'll give it a strong seven and a half, which gives me some leeway for for rank, for ranking some some of the future stories higher. I'll give this a five you know, for, for all the reasons that I've already enumerated, you know, art, color, story, characters, follow along ability, you know, everyone's, everyone's getting a little better except for the color, uh, as they go. But, um, you know, this, this feels very much like the previous issue. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to bigger and better later, sooner. May I, as the writer interject a question? Yeah. If you read this issue, which you guys have done an excellent job of pretending you did, uh, if you were reading this issue and then you walked into a store and you could buy one action figure and every character in this story was available, which action figure would you want? Barrel roll. Hmm. Yeah, for me, I think it would be the same. You know, barrel, that cover makes quite a big impression just that that concept of of him as that that new cool looking cobra uh the raptor viper i think that's uh that's got a lot of appeal to it so i guess as as a storytelling team you've done a good sell on uh, on that concept and character i'm going with mayday because of the cheesecake pose <laughs> on the uh, fish <laughs> and to be contrary sure fair enough all right my turn to rate this sucker uh I, I want to give it a seven, but I also want to take points away for the art and the coloring. Uh, so I kind of want to give it a six, but I really want to give it a seven. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, I do like it. Like I said, I think that we're building to something. It feels like, uh, like, like Mark and Brandon both said, it's, it's, it's more definitely GI Joey than some of the last few. Cause we've just got so much action and so many uh, players and, and vehicles and things. And that really makes it like, I guess just a really rewarding issue because there's so much stuff in there. You know, it's it's nice every once in a while to see an issue that, that focuses on like one character, you know, or, or one kind of thing. But, you know, when it comes right down to it, this is a comic book based around toys. So when you get to see a lot of different toys in one issue, it really makes it cool. Good stuff. So that's us done with issue 28, uh, but uh, we do have time for another little segment. So we've trailed it before. Uh, it's called G.I. Joe Origins, and that's where we give somebody the chance to do their movie pitch for a G.I. Joe Origins film featuring their very favorite characters uh, or <laughs> even less least favorite characters <laughs> any character 
Um, so um, we've had uh, Cutter on uh, last time, uh, where I, I gave the movie pitch for the Cutter G.I. Joe Origins uh, film, paying little to no attention to the actual story of Cutter, uh, both in toy file card or comic appearances <laughs> so um, much in the same vein as uh, the approach to the actual G.I. Joe movie so so uh, very good uh, pedigree there um, so we are very very lucky to have uh, Brandon uh, with us today and he's prepared a, a G.I. Joe Origins movie pitch of his own so uh, Brandon which character have uh, you decided to spotlight in your uh, G.I. Joe Origins movie pitch? Well, Mark, I've decided to focus on cross country. <laughs> cross country, the the commander of the Havoc vehicle. Mm -hmm. Does anybody know what Havoc stands for? Right off the top of your head, do it. Heavy armored vehicle ordnance <laughs> carrier convertible car. I'm always ready to to sing the jingle for the Havoc commercial so because I've memorized it. So I would love been, it if you did that right that, now. If that had been the question. <clears throat> Cobra's got to face much more than Havoc when Havoc's on the go. Because out of Havoc comes a big surprise that gives more firepower to G.I. Joe. <laughs> huh. You know, I might have a word burglar song or two memorized, but <laughs> no toy jingles. Talent. This is the new G.I. Joe Havoc. Nothing's too tough for Havoc. Nothing's too rough for Havoc. Look, Cobra Fats! Ask Yo, Joe! Cobra's got to face much more than Havoc when Havoc's on the go. Cause out of Havoc comes a big surprise that gives more firepower to G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe! Live the adventure of G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe Havoc comes with driver, other Joe and Cobra figures and equipment sold separately. Yo, Joe! I was actually trying to remember the Devilfish song before this episode. All I remember is, you're aboard the G.I. Joe Devilfish when you run into a Cobra attack. Cobra attack! <laughs> right? Ever, ever? I started to sound a little like Strong Bad during that one. You're yes, aboard the G.I. Joe uh, Devilfish. You're on a high-speed mission in enemy water. There's no turning back. You're aboard the G.I. Joe Devilfish. When you run into a cobra attack, cobra attack! Cobra's got a new hydro plant, cobra's an evil foe! And cobra's new hydro plant is gonna get the Ido! What happens next? Find out in Marvel Comics! Uh, anyway. Uh, what does is, what is Havoc stand for? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He was just testing us. Jer was like, Jer was like, I don't know. I write comics. I don't buy and memorize toys. Yeah, I was testing you, not testing me. Um, heavy articulated vehicle ordnance carrier. Yeah, oh, we were pretty, pretty close. We were eighty percent, eighty percent right. Okay, so my uh, my GI Joe Origins uh, cross country trailer. Uh, is actually taken from the movie that's in production right now. So there's going to be voices and stuff. Don't be alarmed, okay? Uh, so you just tell me when to go, and, and I'll run you the audio we have for the upcoming trailer for this movie that's really going to happen. Okay, and scene. Talking Joe presents G.I. Joe Origins. 
After years of defending human freedom against a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world, Robert Blaze discovered that the world had changed around him. I'm from North Carolina and I have great pride in my family's southern heritage, but now you're telling me that the symbol I wear on my jacket, the flag of the United States Confederacy, has negative connotations in a more advanced and thoughtful world? Because I'll tell you what, I thought the stars and bars always stood for being a real American hero. Well, you have to keep in mind it was a very different America at the time. As for the hero part, that could really mean a whole lot of different things depending on who's calling you a hero. Thanks for setting me straight. I guess it's time to start listening to the differing viewpoints of my friends. I'm going to go find Stalker and Roadblock right now and ask them if they know what the Confederate flag stands for. Yeah, do not do that. Please do not do that. Now I know, and knowing is half the battle. The other half is driving some kind of train tank tractor thing in the battle, brimming with weapons and armor to the hilt, except of course on the driver's seat. I've only ever wanted to do two things, drive a tank and have a convertible. And I'm going to drive this convertible tank right up to Cobra's front door with my hair blowing in the breeze. Yo, Joe! G.I. Joe Origins, cross country. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, very good. Thank you, Brandon. I'm glad uh, you were able to, to to source that clip for us. Yeah, no problem, no problem. It's a sneak peek right here. This is a, an exclusive to my favorite podcast, uh, Talking Joe. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brandon, uh, are, you, are you familiar with season two of the cartoon? Uh, I probably... Uh, is that the is season two? That's with Serpentor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Um, so into your tent, I will silently creep. Is a, <laughs> is a bit of a spotlight on cos- cross country. His radio gets stolen, and he has this line where he says something like, "How can I be expected to drive into battle without my country music playing?" <laughs> yes. All right. I've taken a lot of ribbon from you all, but now you done gone too far. Cross country, what are you talking about? My tape deck. Somebody stole my tape deck. How do you expect me to ride into battle if I can't play my country western music? (laughs) Tape funny. You're not accusing your fellow Joes, are you? Well, I don't think any of you are thieves, but I know there's a whole bunch of music critics. Cross country, don't be such a jerk. And so, um, if I, if I may propose, if if this if the studio sure. might propose a, a small <clears throat> uh, rewrite for your um, really really vital and uh, definitely filmable, like this, sure. you could bring this in under budget uh, <laughs> uh, screenplay. Um, I think there's an opportunity to incorporate that there are two things that your cross country has always wanted to do, and if you are. As as a writer of a G.I. Joe comic that incorporated elements from the cartoon, interested in incorporating elements from the cartoon into your screenplay, uh, your version of Cross Country could also be very much into playing his country music as he drives into battle. I love this. Uh, if we could get like Lil Nas X and Lee Greenwood to do a <laughs> remix of Proud to be an American. Uh, I think that this is this is money on the table, fellas. And uh, I, I want that money.
Uh, cool. So uh, I think that is us pretty much wrapped up. Next time on Talking Joe Disavowed, we will continue our look at the Brandon Jewa era of G.I. Joe with issues 29 and 30. So parts two and three of this five part arc. And uh, alongside that, we'll be covering the regular Larry Hammer issues as they come out. So where can people find you guys and more about the things wow. that you want to plug? <laughs> Brandon, you sound a little bit uh, <laughs> like you might have turned into a dog. My dog hates uh, everyone who isn't in the house. So there are people outside the house now and my dog hates them because that's what he does. And I'm kind of like that. <laughs> people make it easy. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like that too, except with people that are already here. <laughs> okay, Brandon, what if, is there anything that you would like to plug, promote, say where people can find you? I would love it if people would continue to not buy my albums on Bandcamp. Uh, that's <laughs> laterhumans.bandcamp.com. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it for me. You know where to find me otherwise on the on the Facebook. Excellent. Jay, where can people find you? Break Room Sketches on Facebook. And Tim, where can people find you when there isn't a gale blowing outside, meaning that you're shuttered in away from the world? Uh, yes, at the moment we're recording, there is a tremendous blizzard shutting down most of Massachusetts. Uh, so every other day of the year, my comic book store is uh, Hub Comics in Somerville, Massachusetts, and... Uh, my blog is a realamericanbook.com. Very good. Yeah, if people want to find us and the show, talkingjoe.co.uk is the website. Uh, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, like and subscribe. We're also on Patreon, patreon.com slash talkingjoe. So big thanks to all of our backers, Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher, and Justin, who are getting early access to episodes, as well as other things. So I think that is us done. But remember... Nobody beats Talking Joe. A real American podcast. With guys from England and also some big old place called America. Laters. I, I was so scared there was a part of that song I was supposed to sing and I was not rehearsed. <laughs> I, was... Who is this man? Who is this legend? Who is this myth? Who is Brandon Jones? Comic writer bourgeoisie, born in 1973, Brandon, Brandon Joa. Funko Pop Manatee, born in 1973, Brandon, Brandon Joa. Come on, Brandon, you can do it. Pave the way, put your back into it. Tell us why, show us how. Look at you where you come from, look at you now. Hammer, Casey, and Blaylock. Amateurs can go suck a cock, write those books. Dig a ditch. Come on, Brandon, get them. Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen? Have you ever, 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 ever seen? A stripping gorilla. Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen? Have you ever, 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 ever seen? Sprocket Man, the hero. 
Morning Radio DJ Born in 1973 Brandon Brandon Jawa Stalker of Dan Jolly Born in 1973 Brandon Brandon Jawa Come on Brandon, you can do it There can only be one, you can prove it Tell us why, show us how It's happened before, it'll happen again Wraith and Chuckles and Red Shadows Created in polyphonic prose Write those books, sing a song Type a viper, get Have you ever seen, have you ever seen Have you ever, 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 ever seen A dragon ski look alike 